This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. Before we start our emergency episode with the great John Ariani, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Axwax. Axwax is a company out in Oregon, and they make a great product. Uh, this wax is um, prevents rust. You can use them on your blades, on your axes, on the wood, on the steel. It even uh, helps against rusting from salt water, if you can believe it or not. Um, it's all natural and food safe. That means it contains no mineral oils, boiled linseed oil, or any petroleum byproducts. And here's why I'm mentioning this. I know if you have an axe, what are you worried about being food safe? This stuff is used by some of the best knife makers around. Mareko Momasi, Nick Anger, Jason Knight, Josh Smith, Josh Scott, Josh Weston, Josh Prince, all the Joshes. Salem Straub, Quentin Middleton, and me. I'm about to finish a knife with um, some uh, walnut handle. I'm going to use this axe wax because what's good about it is, especially if you're a culinary guy, now you can tell your customers that there's no petroleum-based products, no boiled linseed oil, mineral spirit, mineral oil, whatever. It's also good for, besides just your handles, your blades, your hammers, your axes, you know, you go get yourself an a axe at the, at the uh, flea market, you clean it up and put some axe wax on it. You can put it on your leather sheaths, your cutting boards. You can even put it on your boots. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to axwax.us, and I want you to put in promo code FULLBLAST10. You are going to get 10% off, 10% off, which is great. So get yourself a couple pucks of the Axwax. Uh, I've been getting a lot of messages since we started in with them, and people just love this stuff. It's great, especially for knife makers. Uh, culinary guys and, and everybody else. So you can follow them uh, on Instagram at axe underscore wax or uh, axewax.us. Put in promo code full blast 10, get yourself some 10% off. And uh, thank you very much, Axe Wax. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the plunge with us, and, and we're going to have a good time. We're going to sell some axe, sell some wax. So without any further ado, I got to thank my friend John Ariani. He's put up with some bullshit today. And um, I really, really appreciate you being here, John. No problem, buddy. Anything for you. We had some issues. This is actually, this episode was supposed to be with Will Stelter. And we had some technical issues with Will Stelter. Love Will Stelter. I'm, I'm, we're going to take care of Will Stelter in two weeks. Uh, we're going to get him all squared away. Awesome young man. I've been a fan and friend of his for, I mean, he ain't that old. So it's been a while. Um, and it didn't work out. I called up John. I said, you want to, can you, would you mind, you know, when you want to come in, come on. He said, sure. We actually recorded two, we recorded twice. This is the third time. <laughs> the, the first one was 15 minutes and something. I don't remember what happened. I'm, maybe I said something inappropriate. I don't remember what happened. So we scrubbed I was, that I was, one. I was rustling through in the leaves. Oh, I think. yeah. I was rolling around in the leaves. P.S. So. How good does John sound today? Boy, he sounds Ooh, great. I'll, we're yeah, going to go into that, that too. That soothing uh, sunset voice right there. <laughs> so then. <laughs> After the rustling of the leaves, we did a whole another hour and a half. But he, but because he was using the Bluetooth speaker, Bluetooth, I don't know what happened, to be honest with you. It could have been you, could have been me. Who knows what happened? The audio just like, the second it, you dropped out and then we brought back in and then the audio was super weird and it was just like, ugh. 
So last night, and the reason why I'm we're doing this now the third time, the third time is I just got a mention on in Food and Wine magazine, and I felt like also if this is the first time you're listening to the Full Blast podcast, I want you to know we t- I take this very seriously. <laughs> I don't I don't I I struggle at night sometimes if something sounds bad or I hear something weird or or there's echoing coming out of someone's it drives me crazy, and I thought to myself. I, I owe it to John, and I owe it to the list, the readers of Food and Wine magazine, to give a good podcast. So I'm just going to give a little bit of an, uh, just a quick explanation. This is this is a podcast for makers, by makers, where we don't really talk about making anything. You're not going to hear about router bits. You're not going to hear about MIG welding wire. You're not going to hear like the technical stuff. So you're not going to get bogged down with plunge lines and heat treatment. We're going to just be skimming over because honestly. When it gets down to like, you know, inches and decimals, I'm not, it ain't for me. So what I'm like, how many thou? Yeah. I don't know. But you know, that was the other thing is I have, I can't read, I don't read that shit. So it gets to the point where I was on uh, one of the co-hosts knife talk. I was on knife talk. I was reading someone's decimal points and Mareko Mamasi, my co-host, he had to correct me. I said, eight thou. He said, no, no, that's 80 thou. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't care. So this podcast is definitely not about the nitty gritty. You ain't going to learn. You ain't going to learn. I'm not going to, you're not going to get any good tips. You get some, this is the broad strokes podcast. And, and John is one of my favorite people. He's a, a extraordinary blacksmith, um, sculptor, master fine arts. And, uh, I'm happy that you're here. Thanks, buddy. I, I, I'm really, I feel guilty about it. I, I, I sent that text last, I was walking the dogs. It was like, <sighs> It's all right. It's, it's good. It's, I haven't, you know, I haven't talked to you in a while. Like I may as well spend, you know, four or five hours <laughs> over a couple mornings talking to you. <laughs> where we, where we only glean maybe a good hour and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Then, you know, then good we'll take a little break and it'll be all right. Maybe the, maybe the world will be, uh, right, go back right. to normal in that time. We can hang out. I, I have to tell you something, yeah. you know, so you, the funny thing is, so I was going back and forth to John and, and um, he said to me, we're not going to rehash what we talked about yesterday, are we? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to rehash what happened yesterday. And I'm all I'm thinking of, I'm like thinking, well, some of that stuff was pretty good. I'm, how am I going to rehash it without it sounding like we're just, we're just repeating the same thing over and over again? And something happened to me last night. I was cooking dinner and I got a text from uh, a person that I like a lot who is a big shot business person. This is a person who I've done business with um, and has helped me and I have helped them. This is a big shot. But at the same time, there's a lot of like, it's not like, it's not a money in the bank situation with this person. <laughs> you got to like wade through some bullshit to, to, to like get to really where you you want to go. So I get a message from this person. I haven't spoken to him. I haven't spoken to this person in a number of months. And this person wrote me a text. He said, listen, we got great news. Um, we got an investor in our company and we're going to start to offer shares of the company. And we're offering it to friends and family first if you want to get in on this incredible opportunity, and I'm I'm saying it the way I would say it if I was a maniac trying to get money. This person was just a little bit more lax. Already sounds like a scam to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is I know this person. If this was like a, you know, like, you know, Nigerian prince, <laughs> I would be like, spam, go into the spam box, don't unsubscribe, don't call me again. Yeah. But this was a text from someone that I actually, you know, 
that's done good for me and I've done good for them. And it was, it was like, it was very clear that there, this wasn't a well thought out text and it was friends and family and we want you to invest and, you know, let me know what you think and I can send you an email. And I'm talking, I'm, I'm reading this text. I'm thinking, I'm I'm not going to go back and forth with, with the text with this person because it's just like, I'm cooking dinner. I can't thumb it. I can't thumb it back and forth with this person. Um, uh, so I called her and she just gave me this crazy, not crazy, but it was like, we got this thing and this thing we're involved in and we want to involve you in it. And, and you, we, we, friends and family are going to get a discounted, uh, price on the shares. And then this is going to, you have no idea. This is going to be like, this is going to be like Silicon Valley in the Hudson Valley. And I'm listening, I'm listening. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, Oh, am I supposed to get a checkbook out now? And she she said that the 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 minimum buy-in is it was a substantial amount of money. But it it could have could it have been done? Definitely. Was was I skeptical? <clears throat> Absolutely. So I said, well, just send me an email. Email it to me and then I'll take a look at it. So so she emailed it to me. And then in the meantime, I talked to a friend of mine who knows this person. And I and I said, I just felt like I talked to this person, my friend who knows the situation, and they were just like, what does your gut tell you? And I said, <laughs> well, my gut tells me that this is, a, this is not where I want to go. And, she's, and, the, and then the, the, the person was just like, I think you should follow your gut. These investment things are so funny. And when I get to the point with, I'll get to the point is, I said to this person, and I said to the, my, you know, my outside, this outside person, I said, if I were going to invest this amount of money in something that I know that I could get back, it would probably be my company, Fader Knives, because at least I could inv- I could put this money into this and I could guarantee a degree of return. Things are going well. If I had a little bit more money to kind of ramp up production, I could get that money. I would see that money back with return. But this whole this whole uh, be a shareholder in this speculative company. I don't, I don't, I was yeah. torn. I'll be honest with you. you I think, know. you know, and a part of it has you to do and, with, and a lot of listeners all, all feel the same way. Investing in yourself is more of a, uh, you know, a sure thing, you know, in a, in a weird way. It's like, it's all on you. We, you know, we all are like, well, I could buy a knife or I could make a knife. And right. a lot of us will choose to just make it ourselves. I was, I was saying that some, somebody yesterday was like, I, yeah, I could buy it at Home Depot for $20. But I'd rather spend like five days making it myself. Right. Right. Well, you know? see, that's the other thing. Well, the, the, the other thing is, is you, you, you also, you know, you get to the age where you hear adults, you know, I'm 47. I consider myself an adult, but it took a while. You know what I mean? So you hear like your uncles and your aunts or your friends saying, oh, I just invested in this. And I'm, I'm a, you know, I got, I'm on a board of this and I'm a shareholder of that. And I invested in this. And I invested in this company and, and we got a good return. Make we, your we, money we took, work for you. You, you feel like, all right, 47 years old, am I supposed to take one of these crazy plunges? And am, am I supposed to take one of these crazy plunges? So when I was talking to my friend about it, the friend said to me, this is one of those situations where you put the money down and you're able to walk away from it. You shouldn't be like rolling the dice and crossing your fingers and whatever. So, yeah. so the funny thing was, so I, was, I had made my decision. It was just like, I, I mean, it was like, I, I, I questioned whether this person who offered me the stock was on drugs anyway. You know, I was just like, are you on drugs? Because this sounds crazy. You, you don't call, you call me out the blue because you want money for this weird stock moment. Like, I think your phone was hacked. I don't, it, well, 
it, you know what? It, the, the, the funny thing was, is I ended up talking to my wife about it. And I, she just like, my wife is the, the best and she's super smart and she's very conservative, but she's, you know, conservative, but at the same time, she's like, she's, a, she believes in me in my craziness. So like, I give her a lot of credit for that. So I'm telling her the story and I preface it by saying, I'm not giving this person any money. There's not, there's, there, there's no, and as soon as I started telling the story, she would, fur, she furrowed her brows. Like, what am I listening to? This is, sounds crazy. You're out of your mind. It was just like, and, and then it, as I was talking, I could tell she was getting angrier and angrier. And I couldn't tell if it was angry at me or angry at the situation. But I, in my mind, I'm thinking she's saying, I haven't taken enough risks with you. I haven't <laughs> taken enough risks with you that you're even contemplating whether or not you should be investing in the situation. So it was, it, it could have been a good laugh if she wasn't, you know, she's taken a lot of, this, what I'm getting at is <laughs> the, the, when you're a maker, or a sculptor, or a knife maker, or making anything, and you put yourself in these positions of of risk. There is a degree where you have to you have to uh, you have to weigh your weigh your options. You know, I mean, I just I want with you in, in regards to you. When you told your parents you were going to be an art major, what did they think? I that came a, like later. I, like first after college, like I was an English major and I did art. My, my my parents like they're very supportive. They like loved it. My mom's always been like, you know, she's like art history and she goes to galleries and she she's like she was deep in it and wanted to bring me and I'd always rejected it. Huh. And like my dad just he he like loves that I like to like build stuff because my grandfather was like uh he was a machinist. He owned a hardware store. Um crazy thing my grandfather was this italian guy or he when he was a kid he got trapped in italy like before world war one like he was on vacation and world war one started while he was there so he wasn't able to travel back to the united states for like a decade what was he an american uh, citizen he was an american citizen it was just like you know (laughs) it's like he had to take a boat like there wasn't a boat available for him to get back (laughs) for a decade yeah. What, happened? what did he do? So he just like he and his mom like just stayed in Italy and he like he grew up like Ital- like you know as an Italian kid. And That's when he crazy. when he came back, they we kind of only like found out a lot of this after he died, but he they found uh like they he had no like papers cuz it was like, you know, fucking 19 1920. And he's like trying to get back now to the United States, and they're like, "Okay, so do you have a birth certificate?" And they're like, "Yeah, we had it. Like, we don't even know where it is now. It was ten years ago." Right. So we're like trying to like do this, do math, and like when we, you know, had to get do when my parents or my dad had to like deal with like death certificate shit. Uh, they're like, "Well, we don't even have a birth certificate. Like, he could have like he he could have been well over a hundred, like when he actually died." Like the timeline doesn't oh make God. any sense here, and like I, I think because he huh. was so young too, like he has no, he had no like real like recollection of like what his what his actual like birth year was. It was just it was so. You, very so weird for thing. years he had no he had no clear idea. He had no clear idea how old he was. Pretty much, yeah. Oh my God! You know, it, it's like then you just like started at number. They're like, you know, I think you know you're you're like 10 years old and then you just like go from there because what, you know a hundred years ago it was like you know 
a little sloppy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the record record keeping was a little sloppy. Yeah, the bureaucracy was uh, at its infancy in terms of uh, really giving a shit. Yeah. But he, he used to work as a machinist, and then he ended up losing, like, he got several fingers, like, just chopped off in really? some accident. And so he opened a hardware store in North New Jersey, Northern Jersey. And uh, so, and he was, like, always, like, a handy guy. So, like, you know, it's, it's so, always, like, bittersweet wow. that my dad's like, oh, it'd be great. Like, oh, I wish you know. I wish my dad could see what you're up to. That's cool. I'm like, why do you say that? Yeah, you that you get a little bit, you get a little bit gruff. That that's a pretty crazy story. What's funny too, you, see, you talk about the ins- like the investing thing. It's like my dad, you know, he 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 just like every time he always brings it up. He's like, you gotta you gotta start investing. You gotta look into, and but he gives me like no information, right? Like past that, like you gotta start investing. I'm like, okay, what should I do? Like, what should I invest in? It's like, it's really important. You just got to start investing. And so I just get like frustrated. I'm like, fine, whatever. And then the, the very next thing is you got to make a will. You got to get your will together. Right. And I'm like, which is it? Like, should I invest? <laughs> should I invest money it? in something that's going to make money that will make me more money over time? Or am I going to die right. like tomorrow? Like, yeah. which is it going to be? I, you know what? That is really funny because my father, I got, had a small windfall of like, and I think some aunt, uncle died or something like that. I ended up getting 10 grand. And then um, my dad said, I want you to invest this. This is like right before I went to culinary school. Um, I want you to invest this. I want you to go to my guy. I want you to go to my guy and he'll invest it in some mutual funds. We're going to go talk to him. He's my guy. And it was like at a reputable place. That's now out of business. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but it was like, you know, it was like a Lexington Avenue, New York uh, brokerage firm. And I was, this is the first time I'd ever done anything like this. So I cut, the, I gave him the check and the guy says, we're going to diversify the funds into some um, mutual funds that will be a little bit on the aggressive side because you're so young, but they'll yield. And this was right before the big tech bubble. And I just remember... My dad was like, you just trust my guy. You trust my guy. You trust my guy. All of a sudden, I would start to get these, uh, you know, I'd get the statements and, you know, there was a little growth here and there. And then all of a sudden, I, I, when I had to go to culinary school, I didn't have the money to, to, I didn't have the cash. I mean, I was paying for a studio in Brooklyn. I was, you know, paying half the rent with my, my now wife, my girlfriend. I was, you know, I was really like spread very thin. So I didn't have a whole lot of uh, extra cash. And I needed to go to culinary school. And one of the reasons why I went to culinary school is because I honestly, I wanted to heal my wife's parents to realize that I have a backup in case this steel sculpture shit falls through. So I decided against the, my dad's, my dad said to me, he's like, well, I said to him, I'm going to take some money out of that mutual fund. I'm just going to take, he's like, I don't think you should do it. I think you should let it grow. And I said, well, I don't have any other way to do it. Um, and I, I'm going to take half out. I'm going to take half of it out. I ended up cashing half of it out. And then two months later, the tech bubble hit or something. And then I lost. I mean, the mutual fund was scrubbed clean. And there was nothing there. But before that, before that, right before that, I called. They they sent me a message. They wanted me to invest in some companies. Just like I just didn't really want to be involved with. And I told them I didn't want to invest in these particular companies. And then for some reason, I was not getting messages back. Like before I lost everything, I wasn't getting messages back. And I was, you know, I was giving this guy's line. He, I was, I was leaving messages with the secretary. 
nothing. I wasn't returning my calls, wasn't returning my, my email, I wasn't returning anything. And then all of a sudden I lost everything, everything from, you know, the tech bubble or whatever. And when I called my dad to tell him about it, he goes, you're not still with that guy, are you? <laughs> I said, you mean your guy? He's like, yeah, we've, we fired him two months ago and we're actually in, in we're actually going to sue, we're suing him because they did something that we didn't like. And I said to him, well, dad, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you tell me this? Cause then I could have, you know, taken my money out too. And it was like, he just looked at me. And I was like, dude, don't you think it would have been nice if you, cause I lost, you know, probably ended up losing like five grand. Yeah. And it was like, he, he had, to, so it's funny because when you say, when you talk about how your dad's like, you gotta invest, you gotta, my dad was like, you gotta invest, but I'm not going to help you at all. Actually, I'm going to make you lose your money. I mean, I think my dad would hopefully tell me that stuff like that, but. All right. No, no, yeah, this was know. like a, he, my own, my old man was like, that seems he really careless. wasn't thinking, well, he just was, I mean, this is, this is what happens with, you know, malignant narcissists. They, they tend to not be, they, when people ask you what, what it is to be, uh, uh, an empath, an empathetic person, this was not in the mood right. of an empathetic person. You know, you know, you, an empathetic person would say, Hey Jeff, I'm about to sue these motherfuckers. Take your money out now. Instead of like, what you didn't, you didn't take your money out. Like, how would I know you're suing them? God damn you! I could have saved five, five grand. Whatever, doesn't matter. But the funny thing is, is like with when I, you know, you know, you're a master of fine arts, and we talk about art and making and stuff like that. I, I think that there's a lot of people, especially in the maker community. This is one of the things that one of the things, you know, my whole bit that I've been, you know, it's a, it's an old bit, but at the same time, it's like it's a it's a good bit. I actually went to years ago. I went to the Blade Show in Atlanta where. Uh, it's a convention. If this is for food and wine, and you're trying to you you read this from food and wine, and you're trying to hear about the full blast podcast, I'm going to do a little backup. So the Blade Show is a show that's in Atlanta, and it's a, the biggest convention in the United States. Is it of always in knife Atlanta? makers? <laughs> what is it always in Atlanta? Um, the one in Atlanta the, is like the, the one Blade in Atlanta show is. Too, right? There's a Blade Show West, but the Blade Show East is the biggest one, and it's, it's always in Atlanta. Atlanta. And it's always in Atlanta, okay. and you know, blade show and it's, and it ranges, you know, you could have people from like spider co and wolf, you know, these big companies that just are just trying to move, you know, product to, you know, master bladesmiths who set up a small table and they bring one knife. That's like, you know, worth like, you know, 15 grand or whatever. So I ended up, you know, that was where I met Mareko Momasi for the first time. That's where I met uh, Don Nguyen. That's where I met a lot of guys for the, for Jeremy Spake. Most of my friends now, I met them at the Blade Show. And I just remember when I was, you know, when I was going there, I had been a sculptor, went to arts. I went to, I went to, I got an art degree. I worked as an artist. And then I, and then um, I had kind of like made the plunge of blacksmith, blades. And then I got into bladesmithing and then I got into stock removal knives. And now I have a business. So when I went, I was talking to these people. And I, when I was introducing to a lot of people, there's so many people who go there. I would say five or six people would say to me, I'm uh hi, my name is so-and-so. I saw, what do you, what do you do? I'm a knife artist. Like I got five or six people saying I'm a knife artist. And I would say, oh yeah, what kind of art do you do? And in my mind, I'm thinking of, there's a sculptor by the name, but I don't know if you know this guy, his name's Armand. He's known for doing these, 
uh, these installation sculptures, sculptures of like axes and wrenches in like a huge swirl that are, has a lot mm-hmm. of movement. And, and it, so my mind, I'm like, that's fucking what Armand does. He's not, he's an axe artist. He's making these big installations with axes. So when I got into the whole, you know, when I started getting involved with the knife community, I was just like, my, my I would just get, I would sneer. I would sneer after all my trials and tribulations in the art world. And, um, I just felt like, all right, well, this is going to be a non-controversial, you know, nothing special, you know, complaint or criticism and just basically just start saying on podcasts, which ended up working, that being being a knife maker is not being an artist. And and I just, like, fuck it, stick with it. So knives aren't art. And I was just like, all right, it's easy. So I'm not talking about abortion. I'm not talking about the Second Amendment. I'm not talking about anything that people really give a shit about. I'm basically just saying these people were saying they're knife artists. They're incorrect. And and it's worked. And um, but so that's basically this this bit. And, and, and the funny thing is, and I'm going to get back to you, is... In your experience as an artist, and now in your experience as a toolmaker and a blacksmith, you personally, John Ariani, Sunset Forge NJ, have done what I think, I think you, you, I hold you in a high regard because you're able to straddle the fence as a blacksmith, a traditional blacksmith, and a fine arts sculptor. I don't know if I'm traditional blacksmith. I think you are. You know, I mean, I'm not, if you're... I'm not uh, 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 you know, cranking a hand crank blower and making, right. you know, only doing everything at the anvil. And that's not that's you know what I'm talking. It, it, that's not that doesn't matter. I don't think the I don't think the tools make the the tradition. I think that the fact is is you're using traditional techniques to make the things that you're making. You know, yeah. I know you're not making like you know, spider trivets and shit, but you're making like, I'm, I'm not, you know, like colonial hand forged nails all day long. Yeah. But I mean, you're using the traditional techniques that blacksmiths use to make your objects aren't sculpture all the time. Right. And your hammers are not sculpture. They're not. I, I try to maybe incorporate some sculptural, I guess, lines or aspects of it. Right. Artistic. It. But, you know, artistic a hammer's details. a hammer. It's got to be a hammer shape. Right. So there's only so much you can do. And basically, the funny thing is, is like, I actually know one of your one of your current customers who told me, they bought a hammer from you, and this is peace and love, peace and love, I'm with you 100%. This guy is great. I know that he's going to hang it up on the wall. And I said to him, he said to me, he says, I can't wait to get this hammer. I'm going to get an anvil. And I'm going to, it's going to be art in my house. And I immediately, just to be a dick, I just broke his balls. I said, that's outrage. I, I wrote in all caps. I said, this is an outrage. <laughs> I wrote in I all caps. I need names. I need names. No, no, you don't need names. You know who it is. And I, I wrote in this is all caps. I said, this is, this is outrageous. And he said, I said, and then I said, you better go get some Axe Wax. Get you ten percent off with full blast, <laughs> full blast ten at axewax.us because that hammer is going to rust on your wall unless you fix it up. But it is an art to me. But some people think it is. Well, yeah, you, I get you know the comments. That's a work of art. Like, what does that mean? You know, it's it's a hammer. 
Well, people, here's, 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 and this is something we've talked about a million times, but I'm going to talk about it again because we're going to get into something. I believe that people honestly, 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 who, and I get in trouble, I get in trouble because people get irritated when I say what's art and what's not art. And then I end up, I end up making this some bullshit uh, excuse saying, we can talk about art if you have a certain degree. If you don't have a certain degree, I'm not interested in what you have to say. It is so obnoxious, but it is hilarious. I think that when you're talking about what art is and what a fine artist is, I think that there's something that people don't realize. You have to be able to talk about the work and you have to be able to talk about it in a manner that you can describe your, your reasoning, you can describe your technique, and you can describe where you're going. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't talk very well about art at least with like other people that I'm, you know, surrounded by here at like the school, they, they all talk a certain way. And I talk like maybe low, more low brow or more simplistic of it because right. that's sort of where my, I don't know, aesthetic goes to like where I'm just, I break, you know, I'm looking at a sculpture in terms of like form, not right. like content necessarily. And, uh, they're all painters too. And there's like a huge gap between i think painters and sculptors in terms Giant. of like what they're looking at and um you know they want to argue that oh painting could be can be three-dimensional it could be sculptural yeah, i don't know dude like, painters painters have some a lot i i envy painters to a certain degree because they have they have um they have uh very finite things that they can do you know, there are like borders in regards to what can and can't be done. Right. And what happens is, is you end up counting completely on your technique. Sculpture is a different story. And I completely agree with you. I actually had a big fucking, I had a big fight, but I was involved and we're going to talk about this group again. I was involved with a, a postgraduate art critique with this organization. And the leader was a real famous uh, gallerist. And he could talk about uh, paintings like a C. We call it CSI because he could talk, he could describe the paint strokes. He could describe the intention. He could he could even tell you what type of paintbrush the person used at this particular point. He could tell you where you stopped, where you struggled with. He was very very well versed in the concept of painting, and he was not an artist or painter at all. And I thought this is going to be great. I can't wait to bring my sculpture. And this motherfucker knows what he's talking about. I brought a sculpture in. It was a steel, it was a welded steel and bronze uh, brazed bird on a painted wooden base. And it was, you know, pre I mean, you could, any metal worker could tell you that it wasn't you know, what it was, kind of what it was. You could figure it out. Just look at it and talk about it and figure it out. Mm -hmm. This motherfucker had no idea. He thought he had no, I mean, it was just like to the point where he had no idea to the point. I thought to myself, why am I here? I'm going to get, this guy knows, he doesn't even know how I did it. How am I going to get anything out of this? Yeah. Well, you know, you can't know everything, but it, it's funny. They're like, was, is this cast? I'm like, no, not at all. Like, did you, did you, you took the molten metal and you turned it into this? Yeah. It's like, no, do you even know what molten metal is? Like, and like, like that means it's liquefied, <laughs> you know. These, and then, like, they just there's no grasp of any sort of technique, which I think is almost more like on a common sense level, right? You know, like you don't know that molten means liquid. Like, do you really think I'm 
pouring liquid metal into like this shape? I completely, 100% disqualify art people who have a degree of art conversation. And when they start talking to you about molten metal and they talk about this in a way that's like, you're just looking at them like, dude, why are we here? I feel like it completely yeah. disqualifies them completely. A hundred percent. I get depressed about it. Like I put all my eggs in this basket and you don't know how I did this. Well, you're like all geared up to you know, think, talk about your work or defend it or whatever. And then you hear like that kind of shit will just like deflate you. And like, I'll, you know, you check out. I can't express how disappointed I am. If I have a real serious conversation with a, with a gallerist is different. If they're trying to sell your work, they don't need to know how you did it. I just think just fucking sell it. But if they don't know, if, if this is like a real something that you're supposed to, an art critique is something that you're supposed to get something out of. Like, that's the funny thing about like with knife makers, they'll bring their knives to these master bladesmiths and they want their master bladesmiths to look at it and say, what am I doing wrong? And it's always technical things. It isn't about intention. It isn't about how you do things. So if you go to an art critique, the expectation is that they're going to look at something and then they're going to see something that you might have overlooked that will, if, if you fix that thing that you overlooked, your intentions will be clearer to the audience. When the fucking guy who you're expecting to critique you in a manner that's going to help you has no idea what you're doing, there is nothing more deflating than that. Deflating is the right word. Yeah, no, and there's, you know, the, some of the technical stuff isn't even helpful in terms of... None of like it's if helpful. This guy, if, if this guy knew what he was doing and said, came and said, hey, you know, this weld here isn't so good, I, you know, I would say that has nothing to do with the sculpture. Right. However, you could make the point, you could make the point. Here, perfect example is you work with my old mentor, Lee Tribe. Lee Tribe is an incredible a steel sculptor. He does mostly steel and does some drawings too. When we, he and I would talk about his work, he had, he was uh, one can of the this, things is he was an incredible uh, arc welder. Can you hear this guy behind me? Which guy? This, this fucking guy from across the across no. the ways. You decided to come out and blow the leaves. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you can't. I'm glad you can't hear. I'm <laughs> like I'm wait. like looking in my rearview mirror. I'm like. I, no, this fucking guy is going to come out with his leaf blower. There's like literally like five leaves. We're in New don't York worry, City. There's no worry. leaves. There are no leaves. <laughs> like, and this guy's out here like blowing some twigs around. I hope he's. <sighs> I hope he's wearing his. I will hope he's wearing his Isotunes headset. <laughs> yeah. And to the listeners of the Full Blast podcast, if you go to Isotunes.com and you're blowing some snow. You want to make sure that your your hearing is okay, and you want to be able to listen to the podcast just like this. So that guy's probably listening to the full blast pod. He ain't listening to the full blast pod. He listen to the he looks like, he looks more like a knife talk guy. He looks like maybe listen to the flagrant two. That's a good pod. That's a podcast I listen to these days. The flagrant two. Or if you're if you're blowing snow in the in in and listening to any of these fine podcasts in the Maker Network, go to isotunes.com and put in promo code knife cut knife oh, fucking knife talk. Put in full blast ten for ten dollars off your Bluetooth headset. Bluetooth headset from Isotunes gets yourself blow some snow with Isotunes in your ears, and you won't have and you won't have to hear, you know, what's going on outside. You get to listen to the sweet dulcet sounds of the full blast podcast. Or we'll get back to it. Let's get back to it. Here's the here's now here's the difference. I talked to and you know Leah Arapach. 
Yeah. Leah Arapach is a sculptor. I did an episode with her a number of year, uh, months ago. She's a sculptor out in California, and her work it is welded and forged and chased steel. Chased is in like uh, you know cleaned up in a manner that's very you know you're cleaning the welds off and stuff. When guys who are metal workers or girls who are metal workers, metal workers look at her work. She she is so. She is so in tune with the process that you cannot tell that it's welded. You immediately think it's even people who understand welding, understand bronze casting. They immediately look, it looks like it's cast back to Lee tribe. Lee tribe is a sculptor. uh, And he, part of his work is the welds are a part of the work. He's a, he was a shipbuilder. He really worked a ship. He used to work on the dockyards in England and the and the sculptors that he 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 uh, worked with and stuff like that, he made sure that the welds were a part of the vocabulary of the sculpture. Yeah. So when you look at it, you like what you were saying before, and saying when someone says the weld is good, he makes it to the point where the weld is an intrinsic part of the conversation. Yeah, it's it's part of the surface. It's part of the the overall form of the of the piece, and that's and it's it's smart of him because welding like he puts a lot of weld down like to have yeah. to grind all that like leia it like she's hiding everything yeah i'm sure she's smart about it too and you know doing it in such a way that it's as little grinding and blending as possible but he he does zero grinding he he actually does all arc welding so yeah. he's got in his shop he's got buzz boxes everywhere and his 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 welds are as good as I've seen from an arc welder. Like they're fucking they 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 have tons of penetration. They're super light. There's no there's he didn't have any problem. He didn't have any he's not welding over the what I'm getting into the technical stuff. But as far as an arc welder goes, it's hard to find someone better than Lee. And he is now to the point where the technical abilities of him using his weld, he's like it's beautiful as it is and it's going to be a part of the sculpture. So this is what I'm talking about in terms of people not understanding about art. You have to be, I think, I believe that you have to be able to talk about it in a manner that makes sense. You can't just say, I did it because it looks cool. That just doesn't work. So when I hear knife makers or blacksmiths or whatever, they'll say, I did it because it looks cool. I just, you know, I immediately, my eyes, my eyes like glaze over and say, I can't have this long. I can't spend a long time talking because this is, you have to understand that you have to be able to de- explain your decision making. Yeah. And <laughs> but, don't, don't ever, if you're talking about art, don't ever say it looks cool. And then don't say it looks like something. Like if oh, it's yeah. not clearly a bird, like, you know, or a fishing lure. Like if it's this thing, you say, oh, like it's totally like this. And you go on and on and on. And then the conversation is now going down this road of it looks like a fish like and and here's this it's it's so useless and it's it once you say it it's it's you can't unsee it like now you've you've injected your own like perception into somebody's head and it's it's most likely totally incorrect see i don't have a problem with that from a viewer like if, no, if, I, if this a, is more of a critique standpoint. We're talking in a critique situation, right? If you're talking in a critique situation, not talking about like grandma says, "Hey, that looks like a fish." If you're standing in the Met and you say, "I wonder what he was doing here," and like right. you, that's your inter- That's great. You know, do it. Don't do that in a critique. If you're ever in well, a critique, 
the funny thing is, is when I started making the fishing lures, the giant fishing lures, the first thing I'd hear like all the time was, what do you think you could catch with that? Like that was like, that was all I heard for years. I had to be smiling. Like, hey, yeah, big tuna. It's like in these, yeah. in these critiques too, you know, you, you have like a set amount of time. Like there's right. a whole group of you. It, it's like some of these could be like literally all day. You, you all know, you're, day. You're standing On there one with, with 10 people. And like everybody, like they're talking and talking and talking. You got to get through this entire like class, class uh, worth of work. And so, you know, maybe you get 20 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes, you know, whatever the allotment is. Why would you want to spend any minute of that with nonsense with, oh, it looks like a dolphin. Like, let's talk about how it looks like a dolphin. And then the artist is standing here being like, this is what, this is my, this is my time. And you're fucking wasting it saying it looks cool or. Or it looks like this, or making jokes about oh, what are you gonna catch with that? Like fuck you, yeah. Get serious. <laughs> well, the problem is with the critiques is, you know, you can literally stand around for a day talking about this one. I used to. My wife kills me because I always refer to when I look at a painting and I look at a part of it that I like. I refer to that part as a moment. I said I really like this moment here, and she'll she'll roast me for for oh the moment. Are you like they get fight? You like the moment. That. Well, you I would like say that phrase. Oh, it's a fucking, it's a great, it's a, it's obnoxious and terrific at the same time. I really like, I might pull buddy Andy B, who's an awesome painter. He loves painting pants. He's very, he, he's one of my favorite painters. He can paint a pant. Like he paints you, paintings of pants or he paints pants? No, he, he paints pants. He paints paintings. But like his, his wrinkle, his wrinkle painting, I don't think anyone can do a paint a wrinkle as good as Andy B. He's my favorite painter. He is my Andy B is my favorite painter. We're gonna talk about Andy B a little bit later. I'm gonna get him on this podcast. He's my favorite painter. But I have such good I have such good jokes with him because I know his work. I understand his work. We are we've been at it together for a while, kind of parallel in our t- small town. I look at his pants and I say, man, no one no one can paint a, a wrinkle like you. Nobody, you, nobody can paint a wrinkled pair of pants like you can. I said, this is a real moment. And then my wife rolls her eyes and she's like, oh, he's the fucking moment. I, I, I think that the problem is that the reason why artists are so hateable <laughs> is because it's true. It's hateable is because it's such a form of incredible self-indulgence. Oh yeah. I'm not even saying narcissism. It's self-indulgence. And I'm a totally like I fell hook, line, and sinker, so to speak, for making sculpture. I felt I felt to the point where I would say to people, if I was on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, I would make sculpture, regardless if anyone saw it or not. That's how compelled I am to create this thing. I need it to be. I need it to be there. Yeah, I probably would. You know? Just like start stacking things or arranging things in a certain way, and like, <sighs> well, Fuck what what did it? Fuck well, he, well, here's <laughs> you see that's the thing. So 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 when I was younger, my parents were on the on the uh, superficial side. So I was a good looking kid. Blah blah blah. They thought I was going to go far because I was a good looking kid. You know, I was going to make connections. Good looking kid, and you know, I didn't give a shit about what I had to say really. It was more about how I looked to the point where I had long hair and a beard when my dad was dying and I shaved it all off. And the only thing that his wife said to me was, your father's so proud of you for shaving, you shaving and cutting your hair. Like it didn't matter that like I, whatever I had done, he was far more interested, you know, the pride was in how I looked, not in the, my actions. And I was just, this, this sucks. 
So when I started making sculpture, I found myself being able to separate myself out from the superficial qualities of how I looked or how I behaved. And it was more about what I made. So I, to the point where when I was making sculpture at school, I did this giant uh, cow made out of black and white street signs, street signs. And it was actually, it was a, we had to do uh, the whole class had to make these cows and we could make them out of where we want. I got permission from the city of the town I was in to get these street signs from a uh, junkyard and I made a giant black and white street sign, a, a cow. So the cow was made of black and white street signs. And I called it <laughs> a street cow named Desire. It fucking, I got the highest mark in the class. And it was on the website of the class for 15 years as the expectations of this class. Fucking top, my, my top of the line Top line sculpture. 15 years. I would look every year. I'd look and say, let's see if that fucking cow is still on there. And what I would do was it would, we put them all over the city, all over the town. And it was like a, it was like a herd of cows. And mine was in this very prominent spot because it was a black and white street. So I'm very clever street sound and desire. And when people would come and look at it, I would go over and I'd kick it so hard. It would just jump. And these people would look at me like I'm out of my fucking mind or I'm a vandal or whatever. And I, in my mind, I was like, they don't even know I made it. I can do that if I want to. <laughs> and it was the whole, the whole idea was I, w- I was far more interested in what I did than how I acted or how I looked or what I, how I behaved. And that's what part of the whole idea of this superficial quality of being a sculptor. Well, not superficial. This, this, this need, this egomaniac needs, I need you to see what I'm making. It's very important for me to know that you know that I'm out there with this. And social media certainly ramps up those feelings now. I mean, it helps. I mean, all of a sudden with social media, now you have... Now you have your own PR department. Yeah. You know, so it allows you. I mean, that's what I was doing. When I first started Instagram years ago, years and years ago over Jeff Fader, I was just putting my, my sculptures up and all of a sudden I was getting some, I was getting some uh, traction. This was like, you know, eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, nine years ago, seven, eight years ago, something like that. And all of a sudden it validates you, you know, and it validates you. And the problem is, the problem is, especially with all these, with these artists is there's before there was no vehicle to, you know, you can make the sculpture, you can, you can do whatever it takes. You can be in your basement you can make everything in your basement you can figure it all out. It's all ready to go. And then you need a place to go with it. So you end up getting, you know, you end up getting in the clutches of these scurrilous scumball used car salesmen gallerists. Who, who don't care about you at the, all. Uh, you know, they call, they're going to call them outsider artists, but it's like, you know, the guy who just like is building weird, you know, ca- just carving wood and it's just, le- it's in his yard, you know, right. and he has no intention of selling or, or going to a gallery in Chelsea and like doing all these things. It's like, that's, it seems so pure. And then the guy dies, they find it, and they're like, look at this priceless, <laughs> you know, right. and then he blows up, and right. you know, somebody else is making all the money. I, one of the things that, one of the things that's disillusioned me about the art world in general is a lot of times, especially for this postgraduate stuff, when you get involved with like, 
you know, you're outside of your BA or you don't have to have a Bachelor of Arts to be a sculptor. I think the most important part about being a sculptor or painter is to, besides the work, the work, I mean, obviously the work has to speak to people, but I think that it's a very important that you're able to talk about your work in a manner that's intelligent, that people think that you know what you're doing. If you just start saying, people, for some reason, people, I mean, Jackson Pollock is a perfect example. People just seem to think that you just, see just slap paint on. He, they don't realize that every single color had a different uh, way he put it out. You know, there was a composition to his work. And, I, and I, it gets to the point where it's just people don't have an idea of what he did. So when you're an artist, you don't have to be, you don't have to have gone to an art school. But you do have to be able to talk about your work in a manner that talks about your, you know, the cohesive grasp of what you're doing. You're not just doing it because it's cool. Yeah. And um, that reminds me, I was at a critique once and this guy had this sculpture that was just like, you know, just these, he had this form of this concept of form. You know, it was like a thing. But he decided that he was going to overmarket the idea. And instead of like, here's a perfect example is... uh, Alexander Calder. Alexander Calder, my favorite American sculptor, uh, who's who's not alive, and he created these concepts called the mobile, which was these you know hanging sculptures, and there was all about leverage and it was the, the the weight and everything like that, and it moved, and it cre- he created a concept that that superseded the art world to the point now you can go to a Bed Bath and Beyond for babies and you can get yourself a mobile to hang over your children's bed. And they still call it a mobile. That's Alexander Calder came up with something that transcended art. This goofball, not Alexander Calder, came up with these wire sculptures that he wrapped with rice paper or something like that. He threw a light inside, and then he would refer to him as a Johnson. And he would say, these aren't sculptures, these are Johnsons. And then he'd say, this is a big, because I want, and he said, because I want people to look at my work and say, that's a big Johnson over there. Or that's a that's a skinny Johnson over there. And it got to the point where when he was explaining it, he was like, it was just like, yo, dude, please don't create uh don't don't make a thing. You're not making you know, you're not creating the you know, you're not a marketing guy. Well, Rice paper lanterns sculptor. have also existed for like a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, I mean, it was one of those things where it was just like you could see right through it. I mean, he was very clever, everything was very clever, and then yeah. all of a sudden it was just like, but you know. To, to your point in regards to an outsider art, because I didn't go to graduate school when I was in this uh, postgraduate uh, class, they were asking everybody what schools they went to. And I said, I went to Kenyon College and got a BA in studio art. And they said, well, where'd you go to graduate school? And I said, I didn't go to graduate school. And then they would say something along, they would ask everybody else and they'd say, oh, I went to Yale or this. Well, who is your teacher? Who is your... So they wanted to know what graduate school you went to. And then they wanted to know who your teachers were. And that had this monetary value in regards to the ranking of you as a serious artist or not a serious artist. I don't know if you know about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. But when they're marketing you, I know everything. For their galleries, Listen, you're talking to they want to make a master they, of the fine arts. I know you. you On paper, you I know are, more than you, sir. You, you're <laughs> you're higher rank. Listen, I'm I've said ranked. this publicly. You are higher ranked. You're higher ranked by a mile. And I'm going to actually put your ranking. I'm going to put Leaves, your ranking to the test in a little bit. Jack shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that is the interesting thing, these, these rankings. But the difference between, you know, like, let's just say a master bladesmith. You know, if you're a member of the ABS, the American Bladesmith Society, if you're, if you're from the food and wine article, listen up. 
there's uh there's this comp- there's this organization called the American Bladesman Society and you can be a member and then they treat you and they teach you to make knives in the manner that bladesmithing and they make and they show you how to do it and then they become and then you you follow through the ranks of a you start off as an apprentice and then you become a journeyman and the master bladesmith and then you're judged and it's based on your technique and it's based on the performances it's a ranking and then you get a posit you get a you get a title accredited to you have you know met the criteria of this thing kind of like a master of fine arts because as a master of fine arts you have to go through a certain number you are a ma- you are the master bladesmith of sculpture of art john ariani thank you no <laughs> it's true no, I'm you not. are you are you are a master bladesmith of <laughs> of art very confusing it isn't confusing. It is 100%. But the funny thing is, is you say the same thing as I've talked to master bladesmiths who have said it doesn't mean anything because it's just, it's just this, it's, the, well, it's look, nonsense. Well, you know, Mareko you know, isn't a master growing. bladesmith, right? Mareko's not be. a master bladesmith, right? He could be. But, like, that's the thing. He's that, not. That, he's that's not. It. However. Like he, he's not. But, like, who makes a better knife than him? Like, look at those things. I'm going mean, to tell you this. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to have Mareko on. He probably name a dozen, gonna, but like, he's he's high level. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to have Mareko on for Valentine's right Day. Now. Ooh, that's nice. You take you take on you get you get five knives from Mareko Momasi. You bring them, and let's just say he's not a he's not a member of the ABS. Let's. I'm going to assume he's not. I'm. A, I think I'm not in good standing. I think I I didn't pay the last bill. Fine. You take five of Mareko's knives. They should, they should, uh... I, but times aren't tough if I don't read the emails. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, times are tough and me caring about an email is two different things. So you take five of Mareko's knives. You bring them to the Blade Show. You put them down. And then let's just say, let's just cut the shit. We don't need the red tape. And I want you to judge them right now. He's getting a master bladesmith. I out of the fucking shoot off the street. He's getting a master bladesmith off the street. That's what I think. I'd have to assume so. Yeah. Right? I mean, let's just let's even if you faked it all. Even if you let's just you say you faked him paying all these years and getting the master bladesmith, journeyman smith. Let's just say he makes as good a knife as any master bladesmith I know, and I know a few of them. I'm just saying that like these titles become a little bit more along the lines of just like it's a degree of bureaucracy. But at the same time, with the AB, the difference between a master of fine arts and a master bladesmith is the master bladesmith are under a higher level of scrutiny than a master of fine arts. You just need to defend your work to a certain degree to be a master of fine arts. Right. And you can just like tap, you can you know, you can soft shoe all all over the place. You don't have to go very far to defend your work. Versus, you know, Mareko brings over five knives, and let's just say <clears throat> one of the judge, Jason Knight, looks at it and he goes, yeah, I can see where this went wrong. I mean, that could be the case, but it's more technical. It's more technical. You don't have to, if you're going to be a master bladesmith in this craft, you don't have to defend your work with your mouth. You don't have to like. You don't have to use your brain. You don't have to write a right. paper. A, if you don't it, have to gets, explain your intentions. If it chops through the two by four, you're good. Chops through the two by four. 
you know, bends at 90 degrees without breaking. And then, you know, you, they fine tooth comb that shit. You're in. But if you had to do like a dissertation, like a fucking, you know, like a report and you had to talk about it and defend your work. Right. I, I wrote a 30 page thesis. Really? Like on like what I was doing. Well, what's the what, give me the cliff notes. Uh, well, at the time it was like, I just want it. I want everything to stay together. Like I want it to be, uh, as like self-sustaining as possible. Like I, I'm like, I'm out. Nothing's welded. Everything is, you know, not even joinery, like in terms of like rivets where it's, uh, fixed, like everything can basically be broken apart right? and put back together again. And it like, it never is the same thing. It's every time it comes apart and you put it back together, it's slightly different. Or if somebody else puts it together, then it's something different. So it's, it was like se- semi-interactive. I sold, <laughs> I sold a couple pieces and, uh, I shipped them to, it was like this people in New Zealand. I shipped them to New Zealand. They got there fine, which was amazing. And then, uh, a little while later they called me. So she said, oh, the maid was like dusting it and, and knocked it over and it fell into pieces. Like, you know, how, no. how, what, what should we do? And well, it's supposed to. It was like all these wedges, like you know, kind of just like oh. really tightly oh, so it like didn't wedged like crumble. together. It, it no, didn't no, no, crumble. not not like the one UPS did for me. Well, but they, uh, yeah, those fuckers. They, um, it, you know, it's a bunch of wedges. Like it, you know, it was fairly precarious. You know, it was balanced. It's like if it fell over, it would just kind of like, you know, one le- one wedge comes loose and the whole thing falls apart. Right. Which is the point, sort of. There's how, gotta be, how ter- there's got to be some element of danger to sculpture too, which is another how, thing. How much, how much of the maid's pants do you think she filled? I don't think the maid actually did it. I think, <laughs> like, you know, I think she did it or he did it. The you know the oh, guy, yeah, That's and they're the blaming best. the maid. Yeah, just, the they're maid. like, what you know, what should we do? And like, I explained to them how, like, that they should put it together, and that it's and the whole thing that like, well, now and now it's like a new sculpture. Now you've had your hand in it. And it's become, it's evolving into this other thing. They just like, they were not happy with that line of bullshit. Yeah. It was just like, you, you, they're like, you, like, we, I can't, I can't put this, it's like some, you know, some rich people in, in New Zealand. They're like, I can't put this thing back together. Do you, did you have to have a phone call with the rich people from this New was, Zealand? this was an email exchange. Thank God. Because it was a phone call. I would have just been like, send it back to me. I'll put it back together and send it back oh to you. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like I would have, oh I would have completely like, you know, buckled and, you know all of my 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 machismo would go away and <laughs> i would just i'd just be like i'm so so sorry i'll do i'll fix it for you but in writing i'm you know much a much stronger character but the fun the interesting thing is i i think that i believe that when you are making fine art at a level you know you can sit the person making the person who's making like you know quilts at the at the uh, at the farmers market, if she says she's an artist, I'm not worried about it. And the other thing is, is back to back to my crit, my how difficult I am. Part of it is some, some is all most of it's horseshit. Most of it's like I'm just looking for something to say. When I talk to Nick Anger, which I completely, I I I, I was such a weasel. He thinks is if you say it's art, it's art. And uh, and I as as a I mean he's a big guy, and I appreciated <laughs> him coming on. I am a weasel. So I'm going to be like, you're, you're absolutely right. Maybe I was wrong about all this. 
You know, I think that I think it gets to the point where another thing is you really shouldn't worry about what other people say. So if I don't think it's art, that's just an opinion. It's right. not. And, and if I say it forcefully, I'm just saying it with more passion. I'm not saying it doesn't forcefully when you tell somebody something forcefully, it doesn't make it more right. right. It just makes it more passionable. Right. Passioned, impassioned. And there so, is no right or wrong. Um, well, there isn't. I know there isn't. There right isn't. There, the, the, but that's the, to the, me, in my, opinion, in my opinion, I'll tell you what's sculpture and what's not. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I'm not going to. Oh, I'm not going to name names. But if you would say, is this, is this sculpture? And I would tell you yes or no. Well, see, that gets into the whole point of, you know, and I, I haven't even, like, you know, gotten into good art versus bad art. You know, and I think that. Well, you can you can look at something, and I've said this a million times too. Is you can say a lot of times people will say something. Mostly, I mean, when metal workers are looking at other metal workers' work, like let's just say a non-artist metal worker is looking at a sculpture, an artist. A lot of times you'll hear someone say, "I could have done that," or you'll say, or you'll see a painter, and then you'll say, "My four-year-old kid could have done that." The problem is that they didn't. Right. You know, it, it's like you that you you as soon as someone says you could have done that, you're you're out because it's like you but you didn't before this person did. So let's just let's cut the shit. I think that when you get down to it, I think that like Nick says, Nick Nick Angers says, it is what it is what it is. You, you if you say you're an artist, you're an artist. I just think in regards to what art is versus what not art is, I believe in my heart that anything really can be art to a certain degree. I think that you have to be able to have a very firm understanding and you have to be able to explain it in a manner that is, you have complete control with your words and with your mind in regards to what you're trying to get across. You know? Yeah, no, I'm thinking about the, uh, like the Met, you know? Like I can't argue with, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and they have a section where there's blades, where there's guns, where there's furniture. You know, my is my opinion uh, stronger than the establishment of the Metropolitan Museum of Art? Well, they're not. They're not just putting that shit up without any. You know, they have their like, curators. Yeah, of course, they're curating. They have curators it, but, who explain. This knife has art. made it. Art history, art history is one of those things that is, that that cements the uh, the value of these things. You know, you have, you know, an art historian can explain to you why, right. you know, this matters and this doesn't. I I I I would I would have loved to have been. I was going to try to be an art history made minor because I loved, you know, talking about art to a certain degree. Now, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. And this is something that really this was a this is a story that completely changed my direction. And it changed my direction in a manner that was incredibly hurtful to me, but at the same time it was a good experience. And what I want you to do is you are a master of fine arts. You are one of the people that I I appreciate and I believe in. And I want to tell you a story and you're going to be the judge. I'm going to give you the facts. And at any point in this story, interrupt me to ask me a question. 
Okay. You can interrupt me to ask me a question. I will answer it. You can say, and you can also decide whether or not this is a fact. That's not a fact. And at the end of the story, I want you to tell me if the the result of the story is was I robbed, or is this sour grapes? All right. And once I get your verdict, it will now be my final. I will accept <laughs> your verdict. I will accept your verdict for the rest of my life. This was something that I, I, I was a very, very difficult, difficult story. I'm giving you all the pressure in the world. I don't know if I can handle all this power. You, I'm giving it's already it to going you. straight I'm to my head. I feel like King Solomon. <laughs> the, you are King Solomon. I do have. I will have <laughs> Andy. B, Andy B will be my fact checker from the the future. He'll listen to this, and I'll make him listen to this in the future. And he'll he was is very well aware of this story. And I I'm, I want, but I and he, and if I have to appeal the decision, I'll look to to him as my attorney. But I'm going to give you the facts of the story, and you're going to tell me if I was robbed. Or this is sour grapes. So I was right to feel the way I feel, or I'm full of shit. All right? Okay. You ready? All right. <sighs> a number of years ago, a city that I was in, I'm going to be vague. You know how when I'm vague, it's not very vague, which is even funnier. If, you, if you're listening from the f- food and wine, if you're listening from the food and wine episode, I'm gonna, when, I'm va- when I say I'm vague, I'm never vague. <laughs> this, is the, this is the dumbest thing of all time. So the city that I'm in, had gotten a grant from the state of New York to do a <laughs> sculpture park, to do a sculpture park on the riverfront. And it was a statewide application. And then the judges were uh, part of this museum in the city that I was in. All right. And they were encouraging local artists in the city to apply. So I applied. I was asked to apply because I thought, I thought it would be great. You're in the city. You know, you're part of you're an artist in the city. I want you to apply. So I applied. And as well as 80 other people from all over New York State. So I just assumed I'd applied for these, these things before. It's a grant. And they would give you a grant. And then they give you money, state money to, I don't know where it was allocated. I don't think it was taxpayer money. I don't know where it was from, to be honest with you. I didn't give a shit either. If it was taxpayer money at the time, I would have been like, I don't give a fuck. So <laughs> I wanted, I just wanted, this was like, so the so the award would have been, you'd get one of your sculptures on the riverfront and you'd get like 75 grand. So I'm thinking, fucking do, let's do this. So I came up with the drawing and I came up with, and, and the parameters were, they wanted a sculpture, they wanted it to be uh, approved by an engineer. They wanted it to have uh, meaning to the city, have some sort of meaning and a connection to the city. And they wanted, to, you know, they wanted it to be a very, very, you know, well thought out thing. So I wrote this. I had an idea. I was going to make this giant lure. You know, it's going to be, you know, suspended from this pole in the middle of the city and in the middle on the riverfront. And they were going to have the, 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 it was going to be segmented. So there'll be some movement. The joints were going to move and they would have some like spinners. So like the wind would move the spinners. It looked like a giant fishing lure that was, you know, it was a 15 foot long steel fishing lure painted, heavily painted and then um, suspended in the air. So I uh, submit this, you know, whatever a drawing or a drawing plus, um, whatever the details. After a couple of weeks, I get a letter that I'm one of the finalists. 
So they picked out of 80, 75, 80 people, they picked seven finalists, which they were going to pick four winners. So better than 50-50 already. Right out of the shoot, you're better than 50-50. You think you know where this is going. So, do you have any questions so far? Um, nope. I'm still okay. trying to figure out what's, what city you're in. Well, don't worry about <laughs> it. It's not too hard to figure out. Not too hard to figure out. Ain't New York City, that's for sure. I'm joking. So, I'm joking. So, here's, so here's what happened. So now they said, all right, now we, we want you to meet with you. We want you to have your information from the engineer. We want the engineer, an engineer to sign off on the drawings. We want to, I want a longer, you know, synopsis of the work and explain why it's valuable to you know, the city that we're in. I want you to see how you're going to interact with the city and why it's, you know, site-specific sculpture is one of those things that I love because there needs to be a reason why you're there. Like you're making the sculpture specifically for this particular spot. To me, that's my favorite type of sculpture. I would love to make something and then make it very poignant to the spot that it's going in. <clears throat> so... It's got to be more fleshed out, and you need to do a PowerPoint presentation in front of the judges at this museum at a certain date. I had never done a PowerPoint presentation, so I had to learn how to do that. So as we were going on, and as we are going on, I'm spending days. I'm having, I'm having images photoshopped. Andy B. actually photo, photoshopped the image of the sculpture that I made as a maquette in the space that it would go in. We had it fuck it was i explained the reasoning the reasoning by why was this giant lure and to me what lures represent this concept of hope you know yeah i had it wasn't just like i just like making giant lures because they look cool i think that these lures represent to you when you're a child and you're going to go fishing and you're you the the opportunities and you think to yourself i hope we could be have this could be a very uh, fruitful day. We could catch a lot of fish or we could get skunked. There's a lot of optimism in fishing besides the fact that there's a lure in the water to catch fish. I had all that bullshit down. I had all that bullshit down, John. And then I had drawings, explain, explanations, and then I came to the point where how am I going to relate it to the city? I had, at the time, I had a shop that I was going to, uh, I was sharing with a friend. I budgeted it in to pay the rent on the shop. So my friend, whose shop it was, I was going to pay him, who was a, a resident of the city. I was going to buy all the steel at the steel shop that I use. And I said to them, I'm like, I'll buy it through you. You'll be able to make a little bit of money. The money will stay with you when I buy all the steel from you. I went to the hardware store. I talked to them in regards to all the hardware. I'll buy all the hardware from you. I'll keep the money in Peekskill. The lumber, whoops, I said it the city it is. city, city it is. <laughs> So I went to the lumber yard, and I said, when I need all of my lumber for this sculpture, I will use only you. When I went to the paint store, I said, I need the specific paint. If I get this project, I'm only going to use you. I was going to keep the money in the town. And then I worked with the local high school that I had already provided I created a like a slight internship with the seniors. I was going to have the seniors art students be my interns and assistants when I'm building this whole thing. I had the whole fucking thing laid out, John. Laid out. I'm thinking to myself, number one, I got 50-50, I'm going to get this, because there's only seven applicants, seven finalists, and they got to pick four. I got the sculpture. Sculpture looks good. I'm going to post it on my Instagram alongside that beautiful picture of your face. 
I'll show <laughs> I'll show a picture of the Marquette. And then I practiced the the I practiced the uh PowerPoint presentation. My wife got the PowerPoint all squared away. We figured out we did it in the kitchen. I was doing that. I gave it to our friends. Our friends came over. I did the fucking PowerPoint presentation. I allowed them to ask questions. I had a firm grasp on the whole thing. Day comes, bring the bring the disc in. Standing in front of this group, I know one of the I know two of the judges. Two of the judges I knew. One of the judges was involved in the museum who was also this museum was also connected to a gallery this that's a very important part of this thing the the museum was connected to a gallery i also knew another one of the people on the one of the judges who was who was we would talk about art together they understood they knew me they had a background on me and then i knew that another person who was representing the the city who was like a city manager i knew this person we talked about stuff in the past blah 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 I'm thinking there's just no way I'm not going to get this. Do the PowerPoint presentation. You have any questions so far? No, I'm listening. Captivated. All right. Are you? Yeah. All right. Do the PowerPoint presentation. You know what's funny? It's funny. As I listen, it's like sometimes I forget that I'm on because I listen to you on Knife Talk and Full Blast. That And it's like in my earphones. And then I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I can respond to this. Like, well, you Usually I'm just in my car ranting and raving at the radio. <laughs> Well, feel free. This is must be very awkward for you. This must be very awkward for you, but feel free. I'll pipe in every so often and just make sure you're still there. No, I'm, st- I'm, I'm here you're... and I'm listening, but right. then I, I'm like, oh, yeah, but he can hear me. Yeah, I'm going to trust. I'll, I'll pipe in every so often. This is this is good. I, I got you. I got you going. All right, so got me going. Got... I'm dressing. I'm looking good. I actually lost a couple pounds, so I look even better. <laughs> I wore some. I'm serious. I'm like, I got a haircut. That I'm looking out. good. I'm looking good. I'm looking good. And I'm confident. I'm confident because I know the people in there. And I said to myself, don't go in there nervous. Don't go in there nervous. Go in there relaxed. Relaxed. Like it doesn't even matter. Be friendly. Be communicative. Tell a joke or two. And have a very strong understanding of what the fuck you're doing. You got this, Jeff. There's nothing in your way. You're better than 50-50 odds. You're the only, and I don't know if I mentioned this, I'm the only artist from the city who was a finalist. Everybody else is from fucking who the fuck knows where. I have this in, this is, in my mind, this is mine to lose. Mine to lose. And there's, this is the biggest thing I've ever been involved with. 75 grand. Doesn't get much bigger than this. This is mine. And then all of a sudden you go from confidence to this is yours to lose. Yeah. This is yours to lose. Go in there. I cranked out. I didn't stutter. I didn't stammer. I'm confident. I'm telling them about the sculpture. I'm showing the slides, the Photoshop slides of the sculpture in the, in the place. This is fucking pro. I got the the information from the engineer. This is how we're going to build it. We're going to use this. Is, and I even got it to the point where the construction is going to be so easy that it's not going to need a lot of um, Department of Public Works to install the piece because I made it easy. This is going to be easy installation. So the taxpayer money of Peekskill isn't going to be going to me schlubbing this installation around for four days. Fast. I'm thinking about everything. I got the students involved. I got the. I got. I got a letter from the school, from the, from the, from the, from the, from the art teachers. They know me. They're excited. They're going to get these kids doing this thing questions come 
And then the questions are, I'm handling these questions easily. And none of them are too tough. The one stupid question I got was from one of the judges who was not an artist. One of the stupid questions was from, and I, I'll bring this up just because it was just, I was, my jaw hit the ground. This was someone, a municipal person. And they said to me, I'm concerned with the idea that you're going to be using interns from the school. Are you going to just let them start welding? And I was like, madam, are they going to just make this for you? Are they going to just build this for you? And you're just going to take the money and they're going to just build this for you? <laughs> and it was this fucking slam dunk for me because I was just like, madam, I don't know if you've ever been an intern. But on the first day, there's a lot of sweeping. You're not gonna. I'm not gonna be putting this person on a TIG welder to do this thing. I'm gonna be. You know, there's no. There's gonna be ways in which to help me in terms of organizing the paint, organizing the sculpture, and maybe cuts, cutting things, and maybe we'll get to the welding. But I'm not. Obviously, I'm not gonna put a kid in a position that they have to whatever. You know, it was easy. Every question I batted down. With like, you know, you see those memes where they're like, you know, they're flicking their hands and a word flies away. Just like that. Fucking confidence. Good looking. The pinnacle of my good looks as an adult. <laughs> pinnacle of my good looks. I'm not stuttering. I'm not stammering. I have a complete grasp. No sweaty armpits. This is mine to lose. Finish up. I do the old. Well, there it is. Maybe I should start accumulating the materials. There's no way I'm not going to get this. No way. You have any questions so far? Are you still there? Still here. Any questions? No question. All right. I get a call some other... I, so at the time when I'm getting... I, I got a call. I was driving down to Florida to be an art show in Key West. That's another heartbreaker of a story, but we'll leave that for another day. On my way down, I was in between, I just crossed the border of Florida. I had to pull over on the highway to answer a call from the director, from the from one of the judges who was also a representative of the city. And they had a crazy question for me. You know, I guess something had happened and they had a crazy question that I had to have an answer for from an uh, engineer within like 24 hours or something like that. I'm on the side of the highway all of a sudden, it just dawns on me. They're looking to give it to me, but they need an assurance in regards to, I don't know if it's insurance or if it's an engineering thing. I can't really remember, but I had to do some fucking phone calling on the highway, on the side of the sh shoulder of the highway in Florida. I am pacing back and forth the shoulder of this highway trying to get a hold of an engineer or whatever. I got it. I got the guy. I We sent him a check for all his work, you know, a couple hundred bucks, whatever. Send a message to the person, the liaison from the city. No problem. There's an e you'll have an email within f uh, an hour and a half. And then once again, I get back in the car. No problem. I can handle this stuff. I can handle this stuff from the shoulder of a highway in Florida. Do the thing. Come back. And I get a phone call from one of the judges. It was the judge that represented... It was a judge that represented the city. And they wanted to call me because they didn't want me to see the, the, the rejection letter. This person who knew me, who liked me, we've had long conversations, felt it was important that, she, that I hear the rejection 
from her <laughs> mouth than for me to read the the form letter informing me why I lost. I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. But I and I even called my wife. My wife started crying. She she's never done this before. She cried for me because the amount of time and the energy I made maquettes. I spent weeks on the whole thing. I I did I I spent I probably spent two full weeks, two full eighty hours easy, of preparing for this thing and the years and years and years of figuring out how I was going to do it and I'm constantly trying to figure out how is it going to be safe and how can I guarantee it and blah, blah, blah. I thought of everything. Where, and and the woman was very upset on the phone. She knew I she knew I could tell something was wrong. It wasn't just like we just didn't think you were. It was for you. Mm. My wife cried. My wife was crying for me because this also represented. This is kind of. I mean, you ain't gonna get many more slam dunk. I mean, if you're gonna get a slam dunk, you're not many more options for this kind of situation, John. You know, you can't you can't tell me that this, this is like. You can be a big, you can't even be a big shot in your own town. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's not going to be a slam dunk like this. There isn't. It fucking floored me. Like, it's just like, cause all of a sudden it's just like, if I can't win this thing and I'm one of the finalists, I'm the only person in this town who's in this fucking thing. Everyone's rooting for me. I know the people, I know the judges for Christ's sakes. The fix should have been in for that. I should be, the, somebody should be bitching that, well, Fader knew the judges. Right. I didn't even get that. I would have, I would have been like, yeah, you know what? You're, you're not, you got a good point. So it turns out that the people, and I told you before, the museum was connected to a gallery. The gallery represented all four of the artists who got accepted. So what that means is they pushed one of those one of the ones that they represented through. All four. All four. I have my verdict. <laughs> all f- Well, let me just finish it up. Let me just finish up the story. Let me finish go the ahead, story. Go ahead. So all four of the artists, all four of the art I'll, I'll tell you the, the the all four of the artists had some I don't know if all of them were represented they were all deeply connected with this gallery. I don't, obviously I'm not a lawyer and I don't know what, I don't know the extent, but these were all artists pushed by this gallery. Some of them were represented by the gallery. Some of them were, they were all connected. These are not, yeah. this was not, you know, Joe Blow from, you know, Red Hook. These were people, these were like established artists who happened to, maybe some of them had PO boxes in New York state. I don't know. They had to be a resident of New York state. There were some names on there. I'm just saying, somebody kind of had a P.O. box. I, I have no idea. I don't know. I, you know, whatever. Heartbroken. But in my mind, all I could think of, the fix was in from the beginning. The fix was in from the beginning. And I could hear it in the voice of the woman who called me. She felt so badly, she had to call me. She had to call me to tell me, I'm really sorry that you didn't win. You were not one of the four. You were one of the three losers. You you lost. <laughs> if you thought you were going to win this thing, you lose. You lost. So I ended up going to seeing this 
one of the the uh, the people who ran the judges. And and this person was one, you know, representing the museum. And she says, I think you're, I can tell that, because I wasn't talking to her either. Like, all of a sudden, it was just like, my our relationship changed yeah. very quickly because I was just like, I've, I've done all I can. I've, I can't do much more than this. This is, this is all I can do. And if my, per, if my outs, my exterior is like in a particular manner, there's a reason for that. I'm behaving in a specific way out of, out of, uh, your humanity. This person pulls me aside and she says, I think you're upset because you're not talking to me anymore. And I said, I am upset. I am upset. And she said, well, come to my office and let's talk about it. So we went to the office and she says, you seem like you're very upset. And I fucking, I was like a big baby. I didn't cry, but I was throwing myself around in that office, <laughs> throwing myself around in that office. It, my father would refer to that as in, in, the, in Yiddish, it's called Shrygavalt. He's throwing himself around. He's shrygavalting all over the place. I was throwing myself around that office. These God, these, and I ended up with like, this is some bullshit. I was the only one of all the artists who had any connection with the city. All the money was going to stay in this town. People, you know, the money was going to stay in the city. It was and And I said to her, I said, these motherfucking sculptures better be fucking good. And that was the end of it. I, the sculptures were, had no relationship. Once all said and done, they had no relationship to the space. They had no relationship to the city of Peekskill. I said it again. They had no relationship to anything other than it looked like a corporate, you know, field. Yeah. It was some horse shit. I think that's, as the, far worst, as that's the worst part of the whole thing. It's like if these other people, if it were me. Like, I, I don't live there. Like, okay, I lost. I don't have to see this ever. But you're, you're literally watching these, these things get, you know, installed, living there. Like, you, you know, I, I don't know what the relationship is or relation to where you are, but you, like, you got to drive by it all the time. It's like, that's like well, brutal. That's like insult to injury. One of them, one of them is made by a friend of mine that I thought for sure does. I don't, I'm not saying they all didn't deserve to be there. I'm not saying they're all not great sculptures. There's one sculpture in there. You can fucking just push it into the river as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> other than one. that, other than that, there's always one. There's, there's two, there's two that I would happily push into the river, you know, and I don't think anyone would even notice. It was the it was the concept that I had this connection with the city and the sculpture was gonna have a connection with the place that it was in and the place that it was in. All right, I've given you everything. I think my my I haven't even is told the story before. You, you I don't know if you were robbed, but you are very justifiable. It's justifiable to be upset. Well, like very upset. Now, but that's not the confines. Of the, okay, I, the confines. I think you judge were if I was, robbed. Wait, wait, wait. No. You have to. All right, I was either robbed or sour grapes. I think you were robbed. Okay. Because it's definitely I, not sour grapes. Right. I can't tell you how much I thank you for judging me in that manner because I actually have, and I'm going to send this to my my fact checker and uh, somebody who's intimately involved in this situation, my buddy Andy B. I was going to have him be, if you had said it was sour grapes, I was going to have him make an appeal. But 
you know, obviously <laughs> the the ruling was in my decision, so I appreciate. Well, it. Well, within those confines, there I have, you know, there's some variations in my mind, but within those confines, you were robbed. Well, the end of the story is is basically like I got so I I felt like you, the art world is so crooked, and it's all about the money that they can make. Cause I mean, like, obviously I'm not, obviously I'm making the assertion that the gallery that pushed these artists got some of that fucking New York state money. Right. Yeah. So they got a pick, they got a piece. So if the gallery is representing the artist and they're taking 30% or 40% or whatever, and they get the grant due to the connection with the gallery, the gallery is getting a piece of that action. And the gallery get uh, gallery gets a piece of all four of the artists. Right. Let's just say 30%, 30% of 75 grand. Let's just say everyone's getting what, 20? Let's just say the gallery might have made 100 grand off that. Yeah. It was a n- nice day at the office. Potentially. Nice day at the office. Nice day at the office. Yeah. No. Uh, so but it's like every other business, though, right? Well, I mean, well, but here's the, the problem. You don't want to so, think of art world as a business, but it is. It is a business. This is the, this is the, the ultimately, my personal opinion on artists are i feel for you and knife makers when they start to say or blacksmiths start to say they're artists without any real life heartache experience with these parasites these pimps they're pimps they're pimps i'm looking for you to find another avenue i'm looking for you to say i'm a craftsman i'm staying away from this art shit because i it, the heartache is is the heartache I've had as an artist is the hardest stuff I've ever had to deal with in my life. And uh, and the good thing was it just fishtail, it just dovetailed. I said fishtail, dovetailed. <laughs> the whole thing it dovetailed with me starting this business because I made the decision. I'm not counting on these motherfuckers anymore. I'm not counting on them to make to, to to I hope that I get money from this. I hope that I win this thing. I had every intention of winning this. This motherfucker was mine to have. Yeah. It was taken from me. And it's taken, it's taken, it took, it took years to get over it. Now I now I feel like I'd feel this degree of relief. I feel this degree of relief after being judged in my favor. This is you've done me a you've done me a service. You've actually cleansed me of my hard feelings. So I appreciate that. I'm crying a little bit now, too. So not, you know, not only did they make Hillary cry, it made me cry. Dude, my wife cried, I, I, it, it, which made it, I didn't cry. I don't know if I cried. Did I cry? I'll say I cried. I'll <laughs> say I cried a little bit. I was pissed. I was pissed. But when my wife cried, she felt bad for me. She felt bad for me. And she, you know, it's this feeling of like, this is it. What else? You can't, if you can't win this one, right. what the fuck can you win? Yeah, it's not you like know? there's so, these uh, public work uh, grants, you know. In your, yeah, on your street. Imagine, imagine, imagine somebody, somebody come, all right, if you're a knife maker, imagine if someone says, I am going to give a grant for the person on the street that you live on to find a knife maker. And then you lose. Yeah. It's like, the fuck dude so i i but it, what it did do was it did galvanize me and my hatred and spite towards the art world to say i'm going to take this on my fucking self 
I'm not going to be beholden to a gallery. I'm not going to be beholden to a museum. I'm going to take the fucking bulls by the horns and I'm going to be in control of the situation. And that's, that's great. And that, cause that's what it's about. You know, you get, it's like with the forging a knife, you're, you're in the fire and then you're hitting it and you put it in the water and then you heat it again and you got to take more hits and then you put it back in the water and you heat it again. And then you have the strongest knife possible. That's the Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. uh, way of making a knife. If you're if you're if you're from Food and Wine magazine article, there is a there is. A, please feel free to know that Arnold Schwarzenegger will break every single sword that you <laughs> ask him to make. Don't buy a sword from him. Don't buy a sword from Arnold Schwarzenegger. He he's fooling around. He's fooling around. It'll be so, a brittle brittle sword. He'll break every sword you got. <laughs> you will not be a master bladesmith if your teacher is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. You won't. I don't even know if you'll get in the door. You know, with that said, thank you, John Ariani, for number one, being my friend. Thank you for 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 calling for taking the call. Thank you for suffering through three podcasts to get to this one. (laughs) I'm counting all of these as uh, appearances. You should feel free. Whatever you want. So, I think, is, so this like, is what I think I'm at like seven. Well, then that's the case. <laughs> that's that is the case. And now you have an awesome mic, PS. Yeah, yeah. You sound great. Everybody well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna to... repack it and, and return it to Best Buy. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. If you're listening no, to the food to if if you're from the the food and wine episode issue, then this is how you're. I just wanted you to know. Thank you for starting off. Thank you for starting. I'm talking to the people who have found this podcast through the food and wine uh, issue, food and wine article. I want to thank you, and I want to tell you a couple more things. If you're from the episode, the 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 article from the food and wine, you've got to go follow John Ariani on Instagram, Sunset Forge NJ. And now he's got over 10,000 followers. He's got something like what? You got 10, what do you got? 10, five or something like that. He's got the swipe up feature and he is making beautiful hammers that you can use or in certain circumstances, you can hang on your food grade, food grade hammers. And he's he's, he's using, he's using axe wax. (laughs) He's going to be, he will be using axe wax. I'm going to send you some axe wax. He's going, you're going to go to go to axewax.us. You're going to get yourself a couple pucks of wax and you're going to save yourself 10% off if you put in full blast tent. Go, go, go help John. If you want to, if you want some of the best hammers around, you go to John Ariani. He makes hammers for uh, Neil Kamamura. Neil Kamamura can't get enough of your hammers. I can't get enough of your hammers. I got them, of all the hammers I got, the most of them are from you. I've, I get them I to want you. you all. You raid my scrap bin. Uh, I the graveyard. I I do. I have. I once COVID. Once COVID. Uh, once COVID squared away, we're gonna come out. We're gonna. Have it's a actually been good because um, over over the past year, I've I've uh, restocked the uh, the hammer graveyard for you. So I'm. I can't wait. I can't wait to hop in there. So with that said, I want you to go follow John on Instagram, Sunset Forge NJ. I want you to go to the Full Blast Podcast on Instagram. I want you to follow us there. I want you to go 
go buy some Axe Wax for God's sakes. I'm gonna make them. You know, I, I gotta, I gotta make them. These people know that you, you're actually listening and you're doing what I'm telling you to do. So go put in full blast ten for that. Go get your. And when you're listening to this, be careful in front of your grinder or your drill press or your mill or your lathe or whatever. Listen to this with with a pair of Isotunes Bluetooth headphones. They have next generation hearing protection technology. You put in full blast 10, you get $10 off. Okay. I've done enough. I've done enough. And I cannot, once again, John, thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I'm with you. And there it is. I'm with you. I'm with you. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.